as we open God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Bless the Lord who has caused Holy Scripture to be written for our learning. Grant that we may hear and read and learn and inwardly digest them. That through the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in the book of Proverbs to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. If you're using the Pew Bible, I think in most of them you'll find it on page 672. Proverbs is between the books of Psalms and Ecclesiastes, right about the middle of your Bible. And if you're visiting with us, we're, as I said, glad to have you here today. We've been considering a series together through the book of Proverbs, and we've come to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 21. So I'm going to read from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 21 to the end of the chapter, and that will be our verse for consideration this morning. So Proverbs chapter 3, beginning at verse 21, and let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow, I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways for the devious person is an abomination to the Lord but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Towards the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Well, we are returning to chapter 3 of Proverbs after several weeks away from it, um, so something of a reorientation to this chapter I think is in order, uh, hopefully not too long, but something of a reorientation is necessary to remind ourselves how the father has been teaching his son through this chapter. One of the ways that wisdom is conveyed, as we've seen through the book of Proverbs, is by a series of lessons from the father to the son. And that's what's been going on in chapter 3. We looked at the first part of the chapter and we thought about the promises that wisdom made to the son. And then we thought in the second part of the chapter about the value of wisdom um, as it is seen both in, in just its ordinary operation in all of mankind but also even in the creation as God used wisdom to form his creation. Um, and here at the end of the chapter then we find the father urging the son not to lose sight of the wealth of wisdom, 
the, the, the promises of profit that wisdom offers to those who make use of it and do not lose sight of it. Um, now, the, the keen among you will notice that that's really saying the same thing three different ways. Um, the promises of wisdom, the value of wisdom, the wealth of wisdom are all ways of saying that wisdom pays. Uh, that wisdom has great value to offer to those who walk with it. Uh, to those who steer, stay with wisdom and do not lose sight of it, as the Father puts it here in our text. That's what he really wants, for his son not to lose sight of these things so that he might find all that wisdom has to offer. And that continues to be the simple but profound message of this book. It wants us to understand how to walk in wisdom's ways so that we would experience the blessings that the Lord has for those who walk in his ways. Wisdom is his wisdom. The blessings are what he wants for his people. He wants them to be found, just as the father wants his son to find the blessings of wisdom and experience those blessings in his life. That's what God wants for us as a father. So as the father teaches his son here how true wealth is found by walking in wisdom's ways, how does he point that out to his son? How does he teach him these things? Well, he does it first by pointing him to the Lord's presence. Uh, We'll see that that's one of the vital things that the father wants the son to understand, how the presence of the Lord goes with him. He wants him to understand the Lord's presence. He also wants him to understand the Lord's program, how the Lord wants him to walk in this life. And finally, he wants him to understand the Lord's promises, uh, where that way leads um, in terms of blessing and where the ways of the wicked will lead if he will not listen. Um, And so that's how we want to think about this, that true wealth is found by walking in wisdom's ways, um, by pointing us to the Lord's presence, the Lord's program, and the Lord's promises. Um, The father begins by pointing his son to the wealth that's experienced by knowing the presence of the Lord. Um, I'm kind of spoiling the end by starting where the father ends in this section, but I want us to understand how he builds there. Um, to building to the value of walking in wisdom because those who walk in wisdom show that they walk in the presence of the Lord. That's where the son is going to be led by his father. But the father begins with a very familiar pattern that we've seen in the instruction of father to son. He first lays out for him the requirement. Um, He's often started by an entreaty, an appeal, an urgent request to his son And what is the requirement that he lays before him here? Do not lose sight of these things, in verse 21. Do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. The father has made a number of appeals to the son throughout the book. This is probably the strongest of them all yet. Do not lose sight of these things. Uh, Maintaining sight of these things is the difference between life and death. I remember reading the story of a World War II pilot who was, uh, had, had landed and was taking off again and wasn't, didn't know where he was going. He had a navigator to tell him, and he called down to the navigator's compartment to ask for a heading, and someone called back and said, the navigator's not here. Um, and he was in the war and didn't know where he was supposed to go. And the only way he knew where to go was there was another plane that was going the same place that was ahead of him. And he went to full power and he told his co-pilot, don't lose sight of him. He's the only person who knows where we're going. Um, it was a matter of life and death that they not lose sight 
of that plane. And that's what the father is saying to the son here. It's a matter of life and death that you keep your eyes on these things. It makes all the difference in your life. That's the requirement that you not lose sight of sound wisdom, that you not lose sight of discretion. And then he, after telling him the requirement, he pours forth what the results will be if you do what I'm telling you to do. Um, This too is part of that familiar pattern, to lay forth the requirement and then to show what the results will be if that requirement is followed. What will the result be for the son? It will be a life of blessedness. That life of blessedness is unfolded in verses 23 through 25. Um, The entirety of life will be blessed. That's the promise that's being made. Your life will be blessed inside and out, the father says in verse 22. They will be life for your soul and an adornment for your neck. Um, these, are, these are building on, on things we've seen before. But there'll be life for your soul, it mean life for you inside, and it will affect you outside. You'll live in favor between, in the favor of God and men. It will adorn you. Your life will be blessed inside and out. That's the promise of wisdom. And your life will be blessed wherever you go and whatever you do. Whether walking or sleeping, uh, you will be blessed by the Lord. Verse 22 is a way of saying your life will be blessed inside and out. Verses 23 and 24 are ways of saying you'll be blessed no matter where you go or what you do. The Bible often will talk in terms of one thing and then another thing and mean this, that, and everything in between. Um, This is a familiar way of God talking to his people to show them from one end to the other and everything in between. That's how I will keep you. We can see an example of this in Psalm 139 verses 2 and 3 when the psalmist says, You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. You know when I go out, you know when I sit down. You know when I get up and go outside, you know when I lie down, and everything in between. You know all my ways. That's how God often speaks to his people. That's how he's speaking here. He's saying to the son, whether you're walking out in the world, I will be with you. Uh, The wonderful promises that we read there um, in verses 23 and 24 Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid, and when you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Whether you're out in the world, you will walk safely and securely, and when you lie down, you will lie down in peace. You will lie down in peace from danger, and when you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. What is the promise here? It's promise of being freed from dangers real and imagined. Um, how many of us have laid down at night and not been able to sleep uh, for the thoughts that go through our mind, for the anxieties that we are dealing with, and, and how sweet it is to us when we are able to actually lay down and sleep? What is the promise here? The promise is entire, entire life will be blessed. Whether you're walking around, you'll walk securely and safely. When you lie down, you'll be free of danger, real or imagined. Your sleep will be sweet. In fact, there won't even be reason for you to be afraid in the judgment. That's verse 25, that promise. 
Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. When does the ruin of the wicked come? When does that sudden terror descend? It's in the judgment. And what is the promise here? The promise here is the result of walking in sound wisdom and discretion will be that even in the judgment there will be no reason for fear. Even when the judgment of the wicked falls, the people of God will not be afraid. And this is one of those moments where we're tempted to say, Proverbs is over-promising. This kind of life cannot possibly be delivered to God's people. Um, Isn't Proverbs being naive to say that this kind of blessedness will be experienced by God's people? Is the father really being real with his son? Or is he sending him out on a fool's errand? Promising a life that he'll never know. Don't don't all of these things as I say them to you, you say, now wait a minute. I, I know that's not true. I've been out there walking and stumbled. Um, I've laid down and not been able to sleep. Um, I've tried to show wisdom and discretion and it's not been a garland for my neck that's won me favor between God and men. Is, is Proverbs being naive? Is it over-promising what it can't possibly deliver? How can the father guarantee this kind of life to his son? Well, he gives us the reason. The reason that this is not over-promising. The reason that this is the case for those who walk in wisdom's ways. Because what does it mean for them? Those who walk in wisdom's ways show what? They show the truth of verse 26. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. That's the result or the reason the Father can be so sure of the results he promises. The Lord will be your confidence. Another way of translating that is to say, The Lord will be at your side. What is the hope of those who walk in wisdom, who keep the ways of the Lord? That whatever else is true in this world, you go through the world with the Lord. That the Lord is with you. That that is your confidence. When our feet don't stumble, what is the secret to our sure-footedness? As one commentator put it, it's because the Lord is beside us. That's the confidence that God's people can have, that wherever they go in this world, if they are not losing sight of God's precepts, if they are walking in them, what is the proof that that is showing forth? It's showing forth that the Lord is with you. One of the things I so appreciate about the Heidelberg Catechism was when it asked the question, why do we do good works? One of the reasons for why we do good works is so that we might be assured of our faith by its fruit. So that we would know that people who walk like this are people who belong to the Lord. The people who produce the fruit of wisdom in their lives are people who show that the Lord of of faith is in your heart working that fruit through you. And that the Lord at your side is your confidence in this world. That's what the father really wants his son to understand. Um, as, as Proverbs has taught us already, one of the great teachings of God's word is that 
You keep my word, it, sh- it proves that I'm with you. And those who keep my word, I will keep. I will keep you. My words will keep you. There, there's a mutual building up there that God promises to his people. That's why Proverbs is not being naive or overpromising, because you can't overpromise the blessing of the Lord being at your side, of the Lord being with you. Because as the Old Testament reminds us, if the Lord is with you, what is there to fear? Think of that in many places in God's word, but think with me with Isaiah 41, verses 10 and 13, where the Lord says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will withhold you, uphold you with my righteous right hand. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. Um, that, that's a wonderful picture, not only of the Lord upholding us, but of the nearness of God. Who can take hold of your hand but someone who is near you, who is there at your side? Psalmist says the same thing. When I thought my foot slipped, your hand held me up. We sometimes become filled with fear because we don't we lose sight of the presence of the Lord. We don't realize that the Lord is so close to his people. That that really is the key to life. The key to living a life free from the kind of worry and anxiety that comes with thinking the Lord is far away. God's people need to be reminded of the nearness of our God. He's close enough to reach out and touch is the message of Scripture. You can think of Revelation when John hears the voice from heaven speaking. Where is the voice? It's just over his shoulder. He turns around and heaven is near. When Paul doesn't want us to be anxious about anything in Philippians 4, how, does he, how are we possibly going to do that? Well, we can only do that if we remember what he said before. He said, don't be anxious about anything. And what did he say? The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. That's our confidence. That was the confidence of the Old Testament saints. And in these last days, we've been given much more reason for confidence because we live this side of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know the Lord who is our confidence in a more clear way than they knew in Isaiah's time or in the psalmist's time. We know who that Lord is who takes us by our right hand. We know that Lord who is beside us. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He walks with us. He upholds us. As the one who walked through this world without ever succumbing, to sin, who laid down his life and took it up again, who was dead and is now alive and holds the keys of death and Hades. He now is holding our right hand. He is walking at our side. He is saying to us, don't be afraid. We don't need to be afraid because he is the first and the last. That's what Isaiah God said to Isaiah in his day, I am the first and the last. I am with you, therefore you don't have any reason to be afraid. And the Lord Jesus picks up that language in Revelation 1 about himself. I am the first and the last. Before this world was, I am. 
And when this world is consumed in the judgment, I am. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is and has always been the hope of his people. And that's the hope the Father extends to the Son. The Lord is at your right hand. The Lord is beside you. The Lord is your confidence. That's why you can be assured of his blessing. And because the Lord is walking beside you, be sure to walk with him. Be sure to keep in step with him. Uh, That's why it leads to a reminder of the Lord's program in verses 27 through 31. Several commands that come to the Son that constitute the program of the Lord uh, for the Son. How he is to be a good neighbor in the covenant community. Um, the, The statements here may seem very simple, but they have profound ramifications for maintaining the peace of the covenant community. What is the first thing that he's to do? He's to remedy his neighbor's need. If his neighbor is in need and he has the means, he's to provide for his neighbor, to help his neighbor who is in need. Right? If you have it with you and you owe it to him, don't tell him to come back tomorrow. Help him now. Uh, be, Be ready to do good. Be a reliable person in doing good. Um, Respect your neighbor. This is is an important message for the Christian life. When we have the means to help, we should help those to whom it's due. Um, This is a vital principle for living in covenant community. This is part of the Lord's program for a faithful covenant neighbor. Be sure to remedy your neighbor's need. The second thing he says to the son about the Lord's program is to respect your neighbor's trust. Uh, Verse 29, you can't have community where there is no trust. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Um, Respect your neighbor's trust. Don't do anything uh, to take advantage of him. Uh, We all know what a wonderful blessing it is to have neighbors nearby that we can trust. Um, And we are to be that kind of neighbor. Uh, That's part of the Lord's program as well. The final thing the son is not to do is ruin his neighbor's peace. He's not to be someone who contends with his neighbor or plans evil against him. Uh, Verse 30, do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. This probably had a principle of not taking him to court for no reason, not trying to use the legal system to abuse people. That was done in their day as it's done in our day. And that probably is the first and foremost um, of this command. But it has a broad principle. Uh, Do not be a quarrelsome person with your neighbor. Don't upset the peace of the community. Um, All of these things are vital for for life together. To want to be reliable and ready to help people in their need as we can. Uh, To make ourselves trustworthy to them. To not do things that cause breaches of peace. Because what are all of those things? They're the ways of the man of violence. They're the ways of those who break covenant. And that's the last part of the Lord's program that the Father talks about in verse 31 that really serves as a conclusion to the program um, and as an introduction to the end of the passage. Do not envy a man of violence or choose any of his ways. Now we might say, well, who envies a man of violence? Um, why, why would anyone envy a man of violence? Well, Psalm 73 says the psalmist envied 
men of violence. Why did, why did he envy a man of violence? Well, Psalm 73 in verses 3 and 12, he says, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. There could be a temptation to take shortcuts. There are those who don't respect their neighbors, don't help their neighbors in need, don't seek to maintain peace, seek to get ahead at any price. And the psalmist said, sometimes you look at them and say, it pays. It pays to be a jerk sometimes. It pays to be a covenant breaker. And he said, I I was envious of them because it looked like the easy path to the things I've been trying to do through hard work. And so the father has to remind his son, don't be envious of the arrogant. Don't think about their ways. Don't imitate them in what they do as shortcuts. Because remember what the Lord has promised. And that's where we end in verses 32 through 35. What has the Lord promised is the end of the violent. The end who seem to gain uh, through their wickedness. What does the Lord promise to them? Well, he first promises that they will be an abomination to him. Um, these devious ones will be an abomination to the Lord. The devious person is an abomination to the Lord. They are crooked. And the Lord is upright. There is no deviousness in the Lord. He is who he is, and he's, what he says he means. And every word he says proves true. And he cannot abide the crooked. They are an abomination to him. He detests them because they are hurtful and hostile by nature. People who intend to inflict inflict harm by deceiving, by humiliating, or even by defrauding another person, as commentators put it. God hates that. And he will see that their houses come crashing down around them. The devious person is an abomination to him. And what does he say about them in verse 33? The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked. They build up their houses through what they do. And what does the Lord say here? What they build up, I will tear down. I will curse them and everything they hold dear. Them and their house will be under my curse. Uh, They're cursed by the Lord. To the scornful, he says, I am scornful. Um, To be scornful in the book of Proverbs is the worst thing you can be. The mocker is the worst kind of fool in the book of Proverbs. Um, And God has no patience for the scornful. Uh, Who are the scorners, the mockers, In Proverbs, I love how one commentator put it. They are the most hardened apostates. Their spiritual problem is rooted in their overweening pride. The mocker opens his big mouth and unleashing the tensions and strains in a community, he sets the whole community at loggerheads and destroys it. His bad influence is plain to most. No man earns more universal detestation or deserves it more than he who wears a perpetual sneer, who is himself incapable of deep loyalty and reverence, and who supposes that it is his mission in life to promote the corrosion 
of the values by which individuals and society lives. The wicked are mocking. They sneer in pride at books like Proverbs, at wisdom. Uh, that person who lives by ease, the, Psalms, the psalmist saw in Psalm 73, they were mockers. They were scorners. Psalm 73 records that about them too. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongues struts through the earth. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? See how there can be nothing worse than that, sort of sneering at God in your pride. You don't know. What are you going to do about it? That's a terrible way to live. And they will find that God opposes the proud to their destruction. And the violent, devious, wicked mocker will be exposed to all the world for the fools they are. Fools get disgrace. God holds them up to disgrace. That's the path for those who follow the violent. What's the Lord's promise to those who walk the other way? Who don't lean into these things. Who see that sneering mockery for the foolishness that it is. Um, Well, there is a better promise for all those who are upright. That's why we shouldn't listen to the voice of the wicked, the voice who say, you know, following the Lord's ways is a fool's errand. Good guys finish last in this world. You guys are following this stuff that's ancient and that's been proven wrong time and time again. We're in the 21st century. Why don't you get with the times? Um, And the truth of God has to be heard. It has to be respected. And we should worry not at all about the mockery of the blind. I love how the Puritan Thomas Watson put it. If we would keep the sprightly vigor of grace in evil times, let us harden our hearts against the taunts and reproaches of the wicked. David was the song of drunkards, Psalm 69, 12. A Christian is never the worse for reproach. Reproaches are but splinters of the cross. How will he endure the stake who cannot bear a scoff? Reproaches for Christ are ensigns of honor. And badges of adoption. 1 Peter 4.14 Let Christians bind these reproaches as a crown about their head. Better have men reproach you for being godly than have God damn you for being wicked. Be not laughed out of your religion. If a lame man laughs at you for walking upright, will you therefore limp? Um, It's foolishness. It's silliness. Because what does the Lord promise to the righteous? They are the upright who are taken into his confidence. The wicked is an abomination, but the upright are taken into the confidence of the Lord. They're admitted to his intimate circle of friends. And then the Lord's counsel is where we find protection and success and eternal life. They are the righteous whose houses the Lord will bless. Just as he promised to tear down the wicked and everything they held dear, so he promises to bless the righteous. Those who are mocked and humbled, humiliated by the world, what does the Lord promise of them? He will give them grace. He will uphold them. And the wise will inherit glory from the Lord. The Lord does not want us to miss the fact 
that walking with him does pay, no matter what the world says. It pays in terms of eternal glory with our God. And though it will be maybe not until the end of the world that the world truly sees the value of walking in wisdom's ways and the wealth of wisdom is fully understood. But Christians must know from God's word that there is an eternal weight of glory that awaits those who have been invited into the intimate counsel of God who are blessed along with their houses by him, who are given grace in their affliction and who inherit the glory of Jesus Christ. Uh, May we not take the shortcut the wicked offer, but walk that harder road that leads to greater glory, a glory that lasts in Jesus Christ. May we all find the wealth of that wisdom. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the wealth of wisdom that you promise us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for this word that tells us that it's of far more value than anything the world can offer us and that you offer it to us freely by grace through faith in Christ. That it's by grace through faith that we are made upright and admitted into your family as your dearly loved children. It's by your grace through faith that we are made righteous by his death and resurrection so that we are children and admitted into your covenant people. It's by your grace through faith that we're restored from our poor, oppressed positions in this world and lifted up that we might rule and reign with Christ. It's by grace through faith that we are made wise in Christ and have the glory of being heirs with him, of you our Father, be co-heirs with Christ. What can the world offer in comparison with those things? They would be worth it at any price we'd have to pay to achieve them, and yet Jesus offers them to us freely. All the hard work achieved by his merit, all the blessing given given to us by his grace. Father, enable all here to trust in Christ, to walk with him by his Spirit, and to enjoy the wealth of his wisdom, which is an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. In Christ's name we pray.